My name is Mike Dietrich. I'm here with Michael McPherson, and this is the Veterans for Peace Chapter 92 radio show being broadcast on KODX 96.9. These programs are also archived on the Veterans for Peace uh, website, uh, VFP92.org. Uh, Veterans for Peace is an organization that uh, I'd like to read their statement of purpose. We having dutifully served our nation do hereby affirm our greater responsibility to serve the cause of world peace. To this end, we will work with others towards increasing public awareness of the cost of war to restrain our government from in intervening overtly and covertly in the internal affairs of other countries to end the arms race and to reduce and eventually eliminate nuclear weapons to seek justice for veterans and victims of war, to abolish war as an instrument of national policy. To achieve these goals, members of Veterans for Peace pledge to use nonviolent means and to maintain an organization that is both democratic and open with the understanding that all members are trusted to act in the best interest of the group for the larger purpose of world peace. We urge all people who share this vision to join us. Thank you, Mike. Uh, thank you for uh, the intro. And I want to thank our, we have two guests today. Uh, we have Miles Megasife Thomas. Um, he's a, a Marine veteran um, and hip hop artist. And we're going to have a treat today. He's going to uh, perform for us a little bit. And I'm excited about that. Uh, we have Alan Tlusty. And I'm not sure if I'm saying your last name right, Alan. So when you introduce yourself, you, uh, you know, you, 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 uh, let us know, let me know. Uh, Alan is a, a Vietnam veteran. Um, Alan is also a member of our local chapter. Um, so I'm really excited about this. Now, uh, our show airs and streams every fourth Wednesday of the month from 6 to 7 p.m. on KODX 96.9 FM, um, Seattle. Uh, you can find that at kodxseattle.org. Uh, slash Seattle VFP. You can find our old shows. Um, so before, um, first, I want to set the stage a little bit about what we're going to talk about. So June 17th of this year, the date June 19th, known by many as Juneteenth, was passed into law as a national holiday called Juneteenth National Independence Day to commemorate the day in 1865 when news of the end of slavery in the US reached enslaved African-Americans in Texas. Now the Senate voted unanimously for the holiday, but 14 people in the house voted against it. Some like representative Thomas Massey, um, he's a Republican from Kentucky. He said, naming this day National Independence Day would create confusion and push Americans to pick one of those two days as their Independence Day based on their racial identity. Another representative, Chip Roy of the 21st District of Texas released a statement explaining why he voted no. It read in part, I commend those who worked for its passage. I could not vote for this bill, however, because the holiday should not be called Juneteenth National Independence Day, but rather Juneteenth National Emancipation or Freedom or Otherwise Day. This name needlessly divides our nation on a matter that should instead bring us together by creating a separate Independence Day based on the color of one's skin, end of quote. Now, I too would have liked to see the holiday named National Freedom Day. I think freedom more accurately reflects what the Emancipation Proclamation and the end of the Civil War and slavery meant to my ancestors. 
But that disagreement about the name is not a sufficient reason to oppose the holiday. And it certainly does not create a separate Independence Day based on the color of one's skin. That was done July 4th, 1776, when the signers of the Declaration of Independence pinned their names to the document with the expressed intent of leaving people of African descent out of their march towards freedom. And I say their march towards freedom. So 89 years before the 13th Amendment to the Constitution abolished slavery, and, um, that's when um, the 13th Amendment was uh, ratified. It was December 6th, 1865. So it took 89 years later before that happened. So uh, we thought we might want to have uh, a discussion about Juneteenth, the 4th of July, how they're related to each other, how they're not, you know, and, and how we feel as veterans uh, about, um, especially June 4th as veterans, I mean, excuse me, July 4th as veterans. Um, so that's, that's what our show is about today. And, um, but before we get started, I want to have Miles and, and Alan tell us a little bit about themselves before we get into the subject matter and have Miles um, perform for us. And then we'll get down to talking about Juneteenth and July 4th. So Alan, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your service, um, on why you were in the military and why you left it and how you made it to VFP. Good morning. Uh, my name is Alan Telesti. Uh, I was in the military 1966 to 1969. I went in when I was 17. Uh, the reason I went in is, is I wanted, for the GI benefits, make a long story short, I, I wanted to go to school. My parents, there's just no way they were gonna be able to afford or I could afford going to school. So anyway, I joined when I was 17. Uh, just turned 18, went to Vietnam. Uh, my first unit was uh, 196th, 198th Light Infantry Brigade out of North Carolina. I uh, trained and traveled with uh, that group, trained with uh, Tunnel Rats. And uh, my uh, the big thing that uh, was impressed upon us is that uh, we can't have compassion or empathy because those two things will get us killed. We have to be very existential. We have to control our environment and we have to be the rulers. We were the judge, jury, and executioner of our lives, in our lives. Uh, I was uh, there with them for about five weeks. Then I was uh, sexually assaulted. Uh, it took a couple days, but uh, the guy was fragged. Uh, they pulled me out, my, me and one other person out of the unit. Uh, we had to go through a court-martial uh, a month later. Up to that point, I didn't know whether I was uh, facing sexual assault charges or murder charges. So I was, I was just I was pretty tweaked out and not knowing what my future was going to be. I had heard enough rumors about Fort Leavenworth and, uh, and the military prisons and you know I, I was just I was isolated and just by myself. Uh, then I was uh, reassigned to uh, 9th Infantry Division uh, down in the Delta. And uh, there I was, uh, uh, we were just opening up uh, the finance office for the uh, 9th Infantry Division and, and throughout the Delta. And uh, did a lot of traveling, uh, got uh, delivering payroll, delivering money. Uh, always was armed, uh, been shot down twice uh, by hostile forces, uh, 
held uh, four times of held people at gunpoint to uh, calm a situation. So uh, I've had those experiences. Uh, went through the Tet Offensive. Uh, boy, and I think the most people we lost in one day was four of my friends, eight, ten in a week. Um, anyway, made it through that, uh, survived that. Uh, then my next duty station was uh, Germany. Uh, got there in uh, April. Well, I got home uh, in March. I was home ten days. And Martin Luther King was assassinated, and uh, I, you know, I said, thought just I just came from a place like this. I, you know, and and I, I had friends going to school at Portland State, and they took me in, and there was the demonstrations going on, and, and it's just like, what am I doing here? I I, I just. I felt like an alien here in America, and so after three weeks, I had a five-week uh, leave. But anyway, I I went to Europe early because I wanted to see Europe anyway. Uh, and then when I got to Europe, uh, got signed to a, a, a maintenance unit, fifty-first uh, maintenance unit, and our duty was to uh, keep deuce and a halfs and and vehicles uh, below that uh, uh, mobile all the time. Uh, as part of the uh, Operation Reforger that they called, but anyway, what it was is that the Soviets, November 7th, the Soviets moved into uh, Prague, and uh, we were to set up the border guard, and uh, they they gave the Americans 48 hours to get out. So I, I thought, you know, here I go again. It's like, when will this ever stop? Um, uh, so after that, I, I I tried out as a wrestler. I was a good wrestler in high school. I was second and fourth, and I did Junior Olympics, and uh, so I, I tried out for a wrestling team. I made the wrestling team, so I was able really to check out my last six, seven months of my military experience. And I was an athlete, and I toured uh, Germany as an athlete, and uh, was uh, finished second in Europe uh, behind the defending champion, uh, considered the best conditioned athlete in the 1969 tournaments. Uh, came back. Uh, trying to get a scholarship toward to uh, wrestle at the University of Oregon, but pretty much had to be a national champion. So anyway, I was um, 1971 in Washington State, uh, open freestyle champion. I did uh, 1971 a uh, West Coast Olympic trials. I finished eighth. Uh, uh, my rank was about right around 10th in the nation. Uh, but anyway, I, I would say my athleticism really saved my hide uh, in Europe. A lot of the guys that came from uh, Vietnam to Europe, they went right back again because uh, because of the games and the harassment. And, and it, it, you know, we experienced war, and there's a big difference between war itself and, and pretending. Uh, a lot of guys just went right back again. A lot of guys were court-martialed. Uh, it, it was just, the adjustment was hard, very hard. And like I said, my athleticism uh, uh, saved me from probably being court-martialed again. And, right. And at some point, you came to some kind of realization, I guess. You left the military and moved on in your life. Um, what led you to Veterans for Peace? I, I was uh, originally, I was a member of uh, Vietnam Veterans Against the War in Oregon. And I was having uh, tremendous problems with my uh, nightmares and flashbacks and I, I, I needed veterans, and uh, so I, I uh, joined up with the Vietnam Veterans Against the War. Eventually, was uh, uh, 
uh, voted to be uh, president of the uh, or regional coordinator for the Oregon for Vietnam Veterans Against War. But I have to be with veterans. I, I, I went throughout since then. I, there's been about a five-year period where I was not around veterans and I went crazy. I, I, I need to be able to talk and, and, and there's just a, a underlying bond or a current that we veterans have with each other where we don't have to explain ourselves or if we're explaining ourselves, you know, you know what we're talking about where when I'm with civilians a lot, you know, I, I, I'll mention some of my experience and there's no, they just don't know what I'm talking about, you know, so I might as well be talking to myself. But it was mostly uh, I needed help. And right. The last this last six years, except for last last year, I've been going through therapy again and, and trying to get my spiritual and my mind and heart back in one place again and get beyond this uh, thinking that uh, I, I don't need to be compassionate or empathetic to live. I, you know, I need people and yeah, you know, I need us. Well, you are. You're a compassionate, empathetic person, uh, what I know of you. So it's brand new. You know that. I, I, it's only been in the last two, at the most, three years. For, wow. uh, and again, through my therapy and, and wounded warrior group that I was with for several years, that, uh, you know, it's all coming back. But, uh, boy, wow. it, was, it was hollow. It was, it, was, it was lonely. Wow. I was just out there. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Miles, um, you want to tell us um, about yourself and your journey and how you, what led you to VFP and, yes. you, you know, your change in terms of your thinking, if that was the case. Definitely. Thank you for sharing, Alan. Um, my name is Miles Megasife Thomas. Uh, Megasife is mental energies gather and circulate in positive harmony. <clears throat> I went to the Marine Corps right out of high school in 1992 and I went because the same reasons that Alan went I wanted the GI Bill I wanted security I, I didn't get into college so I went thinking that it was going to prepare me for the world um, and boot camp was November 92 to January 93 and I went from five foot 11, 135 pounds in that three months to six foot two, 195 pounds. Wow. So I had my, my growth spurt um, then in boot camp, And as you see, I'm light, I'm, I'm, I'm what we call light skinned in the black community. Um, and I'm well-spoken. I'm the product of a single mother raised in Brooklyn, New York. She was well-educated. She finished college when she had me. So she had me instead of walking at her college graduation at Bard from Bard College and raised me as a very loving, caring young person, but didn't give me any political education even though she was a product of Malcolm X marches and stuff, she chose not to politicize me. And I think that's why I ended up joining. And in boot camp, I was called light-skinned, uppity, high yellow, New York, 
high class, all with nigga at the end of it, all with, uh, you know, some sort of racial slur at the end of what he was saying to me. This was my heavy. And so that was my introduction. You mean you like the drill? How's your drill when you say you're heavy? Yeah. So in, in, in the Marine Corps, we had a heavy in boot camp in um in boot camp we had a, a heavy drill instructor we had a knowledge drill instructor we had a drill instructor and we had a lead so the lead was over all of them the drill was primarily in charge of marching and formations um when we ran he was the the guy usually and then the heavy was like the one who's always in our face who might knock you out at any minute um and then um who else did we have we had the, the 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 heavy the lead the knowledge and the drill and then so um boot camp for us was horrible uh you know it was that play time that alan was talking about it wasn't it was preparation for war and it was like war on us um just in boot camp so boot camp was my awakening um the beginning of it and then cuba was my the the result of my the full awakening after i finished boot camp um i went to mct training in north carolina marine combat training i was i i was a mortarman i had chosen to be a 0341 a mortarman and so i went to mct school and on the last march on the last hump of mct i broke both my feet a complete break in my left foot, my second and third metatarsal, and a partial break in my right foot, um, only my second metatarsal. Uh, and during that healing time, I lost a, a position in Hawaii. I was going to be stationed in Hawaii, and I got sent to Cuba. And so for my year in Cuba, I got to witness um, the way we treat asylum seekers and the way we differentiate between, and I mean America with the upside, with the flag flying right side up behind me, because um, America's in distress. When I say we, um, we choose which Cubans will make it to the states and which won't based on skin color from what I saw, dark skinned or Cubans of African descent were treated differently and very rarely made it to the US, whereas Cubans of Spanish descent would. And then um, the way we treated Haitian refugees and the way the quarters that they stayed in were inhumane. They were dirt floors and wooden walls, um, rotten, moldy wooden walls. And the Cuban, the, you know, the Cuban refugees had wooden floors and cinder block walls. So we had different, we were differentiating based on um, skin color, you know, and uh, the, 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 the things I was, the racial slurs that I was called in the Marine Corps and by my, by, by, by other Marines, you know, um, woke me up. So Cuba really woke me up. I didn't say anything. I didn't speak out. I wasn't that vocal. Like I said, I hadn't been politicized. I didn't realize what I was going through until years later. Um, after, after Cuba, 
I came back to North Carolina for a year and then went to Okinawa for a year. I was in Okinawa from 94 to 95 and I was on, I was stationed on Camp Schwab and I was, I was on Camp Schwab <clears throat> when the 12 year old girl was raped by, um, by two Marines um, from my base. I didn't know the Marines, but um, you know, we had, we had five different units on that base. And um, so, so I saw a lot of violence and I also uh, was, I got involved in like gang life, you know, Crips, American straight up gang life, US, US style while I was in the Marine Corps. I got introduced to weed while I was in the Marine Corps and I got kicked out for smoking weed after three and a half years of honorable service. I got sent home with an OTH, no, um, no VA follow up, nothing, which I now know I could have done on my own because that's, you know, but I had no guidance. You know, I was just like, it was just like, go um, after three and a half years and a lot of trauma and a lot of pain that I still carry with me. Uh, I came to Veterans for Peace in 2014. In 2012, my son Tafari was born and I started writing an album. And then in 2013, I reached out and I found Michael and um, Casey just uh, really didn't know anything about veterans, uh, veterans movement um, and hadn't been really active in the peace movement either, only through my music. I put out my first album in 2006 and all my music has always been about human rights and justice and peace and introspection. Um, no misogyny, no materialism and no militarism ever in my, in my lyrics. So that's, that's been my way of, of making peace in the world. And being with veterans, being with veterans for peace has let me see that other people men and women have struggled and struggle with the same sorts of trauma and uh, mental and physical pain um, and emotional pain uh, that we like carry, you know, that we just, we have packed up, we've learned how to pack up and compartmentalize and carry throughout right. life. So. Right, well, thank you for um, for giving us your your journey, um, so why don't you um, give us a sample of your work? So I'm, I'll do "Promise" for y'all. "Promise" is off my uh, album, 2014 album "Civil I Am," and it's produced by Steve Wallace. This is "Promise," you know, simplify. How do we feel about faith? I was thinking about that when you asked about Juneteenth and July Fourth. I thought, what song can I do that's really appropriate? I know it broke your heart when I signed up for the service. Your baby chose to leave as if all you did was worthless. 17 years working two jobs to support us. For all of your guidance, I still sought a higher purpose. Or so I thought and I walked. I had to be a man, stand on my own. Learn to fight, kill and withstand and withstand. A friend I still have to this day. Packed my bags, boarded that bus and went away. And oh, the games they play on your mind. They sent me first and left my man behind. Told us it would be fine. We'd be in the same platoon. I, right, brother, I love you when I see you soon. 
The next three months was just punishment and torture. The guys pushed to your hardest and kill anything softer. We started with 75 and graduated 30. Like, damn, they really made a brother feel worthy. Forever promised to the few and the proud. Hold the clouds. I promise, mama. I've been lucky. Never had to kill a man. But if I had to, yeah, I could just kill a man, woman or child. Is that my fam? The shame of it all, like why they're hooded in the clan. Boots on foreign land. Protect America from what? This threat is hilarious. ISIL? That was created by us. By us, I mean our leaders with their sick bloodlust. And I should trust? Obey blindly? Orders from the top? Given kindly? And who am I? Yeah, never mind me. I'm just the overlooked voice of the poor majority. Trusting in his country to keep his first promise, protect the voice of the people and always remain honest. This dishonest land of the money tree enslaved to the almighty ungodly dollar and getting paid. How many boys sign up to serve their country in war? How many parents never want to get that knock on the door? How many men saw their friends shot, brains on the floor, coming home post-traumatic and now how many more? If I could make one promise, it would be to end it all. No more slaughters at the schools or at the local mall. This can't go local, y'all. Let's get national calls. Take it international. Make peace fashion a ball and bounce it off the words at the bottom of the screen. The amount of absurd problems make me want to scream. I count on being heard because I have a dream. Make some noise when you hear this if you know what I mean. It's time to scream. It's time to yell. The time for dreams has passed. You're now living in hell. Just look to the past for what the future will tell. We either... Change the present or, oh well, forever promised. So much potential. So much promise. I promise. In the years since I've been out, I've done a world of things, made a world of difference to some future kings and queens. Impress a ton of people, but still seeking it myself after that family crossed the minefield. There's all nothing else. That night, my soul went to hell and back. When babies hanging barbed wire were ordered to hold back. What holds us back from breaking orders? What keeps us from breaking rank to hold obscure borders? These are broad questions with pinpoint answers. Why are people persecuted for smoking the cure for cancer? Why are global greenhouse emissions still not addressed? Why incarcerate instead of educate? I'm not impressed. We're oppressed with fear, scared of change or the other. Allowed our government to become big brother. Was it a big blunder, a grand mistake or fate? Though I have walked through the valley of death, I am awake forever promised to the few and the proud. So much potential I could hold the clouds. So much promise. I promise to say it loud. I promise to spit fire only to hope. Forever promised to the few and the proud. So much potential I could hold the clouds. So much promise. I promise to say it loud. I promise to spit fire only to control the crowd. You know, we spit fire as MCs because it's truth. So like, like my little bullet metaphor. Okay. <laughs> All right. That was awesome. Thank you very much. That was Thank really great. A lot of truth in there. Yeah. So we have probably about 25 minutes um, to uh, have our discussion about um, Juneteenth and um, um, the 4th of July. So, um, well, I don't know, Mike, you haven't had a chance to say anything really. So <laughs> do you, do you want to uh, make a few comments and then, and then we'll go back to our guests? Oh, sure. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to have some ancestors that uh, fought in the Civil War on the Union side. I, I know at least five. Three of them died in, in Andersonville prison. Uh, incidentally, he, the commander of that prison was the only only Confederate that they hanged. 
but uh, you know, the Declaration of Independence did, uh, you know, declares that we're all all uh, all free and equal, except for you know the uh, the uh, addition to that was that well, slaves are free, uh, not free and equal. They're only worth three fifths. So I mean. Fourth of July. Fourth of July. I, I go and hide usually someplace because I can't stand the goddamn fireworks. And uh, um, but you know the parades and the marching and that sort of thing is is uh, either makes me very angry or makes me want to cry. Um, um, so like Al, I I uh, have found a home in, in Veterans for Peace. I've been around this organization since two thousand and three, and like here, it was an old. Vietnam veteran against the war so uh, it's it's a therapy actually for me to be with this organization and to talk to other veterans and also to have the opportunity like this and I hope you feel that way Miles too I think you do to have a, a platform like this that you can talk about what's what's important to you why you're in VFP and, and uh, uh, you know talk to other veterans so I do. I do feel that way, Mike. Um, I feel that uh, it's good to have other people to talk to. Um, and I believe that veteran voices aren't heard enough. So I have valued that greatly. Um, I've loved being on the stand down with Natasha and my and my comrade, Mike. Um, and this opportunity to talk with with my elders uh, is always lovely as well. You know, um, people who've been through the same things that I've been through. Uh, and prior, you know, prior to me experiencing them. So you've had, you've got life experience and, you know, um, similar experiences um, for me to learn from. So I love that. Um, I think just biodiversity and conversations are more necessary. You know, more people have to talk, more people have to have dialogues like this, more people have to hear other perspectives from other people, you know, um, these are just it's just a great thing as, as like uh yeah that's where i'll end that because i, I kind of don't remember where i was going to go with it michael well <laughs> the uh your 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 piece is a great great addition to not only to the veterans Review but this radio show it's really a spectacular piece of of art and uh, thank you for that you know, thank you. Thank you. you. This, that's, this is what I wanted to say when, when, um, um, so it's like, I, I think, I think July 4th, um, the hypocrisy of saying that, you know, this country's independent and, and this country is those, those men knew exactly what they were doing when they claimed independence uh, on, and only for some people, you know, um, they had to justify, they had to justify sl slavery to themselves by creating lies, by creating false science, you know, um, what like what is the shape of our the shape of the heads and the face and you know like like this false science around dividing people into groups to say some were more human and some were less human um those those men and women knew exactly what they were doing just like today um 
people people know exactly what they're doing when they're when they're going for Trump and when they're going for, um, you know, when they when they're storming the Capitol on on January sixth. Those people are not unaware of their extreme racism. Um, so I think like and 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 the and the flying of the flag, like when people fly their flags, even that's a that's a symbol. You're sending a symbol that, you know, you align with, you align with these ideals. And if you're aligning with what's the, what the U.S. has been doing since I was a child, then you're either willfully blind, you're willfully ignorant to the ways of the world, or you are drinking the tea um, wholeheartedly and adding more sugar and loving it. Um, there's you can't. It's it's hard to it's hard to really say that you don't see um, there's two Americas and the and that and that America American exceptionalism is alive and well in most Americans. Um, you know the idea that America is better, or you know if you're here if you're if you're born and raised in America you're innately better than others. That's that's alive and well, um, and that's sad. It's sad to see. Well, my, uh, Alan, yeah, go ahead. Alan, I was going to say, my I was overseas twenty eight months, uh, uh, up to uh, when the Soviets moved into uh, Czechoslovakia. I had, I'd been in combat for twenty one months, and I was fried, I was burnt out. But uh, there's a, a a ruling in the military that uh, uh, they don't want to keep single people overseas more than like 24, 26 months and then married people any more than like uh, 18, 20 months because after that point we start losing our identity. So I went through that experience. I That is of my experience where I see America as America. Uh, 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 I, I've ex I've I've been over. I was overseas 28. I saw other countries. I lived. In, I was in other countries, and uh, they have a lot going for them too. So I, I don't. I'm not buying into this American exceptionalism. And then, as far as uh, freedom and us being free, it's like, man, we got healthcare problems. We got prison problems. We, we've got uh, gun reform or violent problems. I mean, we've got a lot of problems, and, and we aren't going to be free until we start addressing it and uh, getting a hold of some of these problems. And and I think that's how Juneteenth fits in with me. It's like, you know, it needs to be recognized. And as we're going along, I'm learning a lot about, I'll say, black history. I, I, I didn't know anything about Juneteenth. I didn't know anything about the Tulsa massacre until, you know, just this year. And it, and so I'm at a point where I'm wondering, what in the heck haven't I been told? You know, oh, I, so I, much. I went through an American educational system and I've been brainwashed just like everybody else. And But I'm curious. I want to know what our history is. If we go down the rabbit hole, I think most Americans, many people who don't know, would just cry. They'll spend a lot of time crying and mm -hmm. hopefully calling their family and asking why they didn't, why they did. There's so many things like you, like the Tulsa massacre is one of dozens upon dozens. Basically, during um, the Jim Crow era, every black independent city, you know, and like 
um, like group that had come up that had been able to come up got crushed um, and very often violently, um, very often with uh, with the city and or the state involved or the federal government. Sometimes it was just locals who were supported and protected by the state city, but often it was the city themselves. Most often the Klansmen um, are judges and the highest ranking people in the city, bankers and stuff. So even to this day, you know, they're like the, the coaches on the teams. So it's like, you know, you got to like this thing is so structural and so like ingrained in our in our in our society. Um, you know, we have the most owners of guns in the world and we're, we're we also have the highest numbers of mass murders. You know, we have uh, we have the the five percent of the global population and twenty five percent of the world's prisoners. That doesn't even make numerical sense for whites or blacks. It doesn't make numerical sense. Like we are black people are like 12, 13 percent of the U.S. population, but almost 50 percent of the prison population. We're like 48, 49 percent of the U.S. prison population. Whites make up. And uh, so and think about that. We're almost half. We're almost half of the prison population. And then you have Latinos, whites and and uh, and Asians that make up the rest. And we're only 13, 12 to 13, 13 percent of the U.S. population. So there's more black people in slavery today than there were in the height of Jim Crow in 1850. Like all this stuff has been documented and and codified at this point you know what i'm saying this has been put out into the world by many people you know what i'm saying numerous sources so the, the work is out there you can anybody can find it um the, i mean money doesn't the, the 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 banking industry in our country is designed to keep us poor you know, housing, the housing market, inflation, the way these things are tied together and the way that we view economics, the way economics are viewed, where children are taught in school, people go to school to learn economics and be bankers, but they're not taught microeconomics. They're taught everything on a macro scale. They're taught everything as though it's like it, nothing relates to the people. And so if you if you teach this Keynesian way of looking at money as though it's like this arbitrary thing not based on human labor you know and you're terrified of teaching people about socialism and the way that human societies work together and the way that goods and commodities come to be out of human innovation naturally, then people are terrified of, of words like socialism. And they get scared that working for the social good is gonna make society crumble. And so you teach them, you, you raise a whole generation um, the baby boomers, basically, you raise a whole generation on the idea that communism is going to destroy the world and you create this this great divide um, and this loss of human potential um, based around a fear paradigm. And that's where we are. We're suffering right now because we have warmongers in power in all forms of, in all sectors of society who are keeping things, who are keeping the status quo. The status quo is, is death to those who are not in the power group. And it's been that, the status quo has been that for at least the past 
six, seven hundred years, you know. Um, And so Juneteenth, Juneteenth is like, yeah, I mean, two years after slavery had been abolished, um, the this general comes marching into into Galveston. Right. And says, uh, I don't even know if he was a general, but he's like he makes an announcement from from the second floor of a of a building in the center of town. And yeah, it's a great celebration. But I didn't know about Juneteenth either until I was an adult. Um, and what are we really celebrating when, when, when all that really happened at the end of slavery was the pen got expanded, the slave pen got expanded to include, you know, it took about 75 years, but now it includes all people, you know, white people are enslaved um poor you know what i'm saying poor white people all poor people basically are prisoners um of the system of capitalism all poor people across the world and um in our country they experience it directly through police violence and state violence and then around the world they experience it through military and multi- and and local police violence supported by multinational corporations so i mean it has been the snake has coiled itself tightly and it's rearing its head as people try to wake up and rise up. We saw it with the Arab spring. We saw it with Occupy and we're continuing to see it with black lives matter. Um, And then black lives matter gets co-opted. Me too comes up. Me too gets co-opted. You know, me too doesn't even expand to the music industry, which we all know it needs to, because that's, it's, this is such a nepotistic and, you know, like pedophile and you know like sodomizing industry um let me just um comment a little bit on uh a little bit of what you were saying um i mean all of you were saying about the i guess the lies and the hypocrisy of uh the july 4th and frederick Douglass talked quite a bit about that when he talked about what is on july 4th to the slave you know, um, where we, in, in part of his passages, uh, the passage talks about enslaved people hearing the celebration of July 4th and how that made them feel. I mean, let's say July 3rd, the burden was already heavy, but then on July 4th, hearing all this celebration, the white free people made the burden even heavier. Um, I, I you know, when I look back on the history, my history as a black person in America, but also my history is American history. So what we're looking at is American history. We're not, we're, you know, we say black history, but it's American history. We don't say white people history, right? So it's American history. Um, the end of slavery at a minimum to me um, created new space for the potential of my people to expand. It's not been able to expand to its fullest. And as, as Miles was saying, just any poor person as well, um, there's, some, there's still barriers to you as a black person just for being black, poor or not. Um, but I look at what I have um, and think about what my ancestors had or didn't have. And there's a long, there's, there's a long way you know, so I, I at least 
want to respect that experience because I have not experienced anything like being enslaved at all. You know, um, so I, I just always want to respect that. So I, for me, Juneteenth in the National Independence Day is, is a day of commemoration. I've known about it for quite some time and remembrance of what we citizens have done to each other. Because like I said, it's not just black history, it's, it's US history. And I, I celebrate how far we've come together because there has been change. Just not, it hasn't been enough. So July 4th for a long time has been a day for me to remember our founding, but the good and the evil. You know, because people just want to think about the good, right? The so-called good, if you didn't even want, maybe there's nothing good about it. But there was a lot of evil. So I also reflect on how much more there is to do on July 4th and plan. What are the next steps? What is my role uh, to fulfill America's promise? Because there was, you know, those words in the Declaration of Independence, at least for me, you know, they mean something to me. Knowing that we're not there as a nation. And there's a lot of us that are not even trying to get there. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of us that's, try, that's trying to keep us from getting there. Um, but I'm trying to get there because I believe that all of us are equal. And those words mean something to me. That's one of the reasons that I decided even to serve in the military uh, because of those words. And so that's the reason I continue to strive today, um, you know, for, equality for all of us, for justice for all of us, for peace for all of us. So for me, America, I, I realize the ugliness and reality of America. I understand that. But I'm also looking at this dream of, of, of what we can be because I'm not going nowhere. I, I just, I, you know, the white supremacist, Michael McPherson not going anywhere. I'm here, here for the fight. I'm here for the struggle and I'm gonna I'm stay in it. And apparently my people, you know, we're diverse people and we have a lot of different opinions. But if you look at our actions, our actions have been one of trying to make this country better, trying to pull up everybody, not, not just us. That's whatever philosophies a bunch of different black people can get together and have and disagreements. If you look at the history of what we have done in this country, it's about making this country and all of us better. I agree. You know, so that's what I think about when I think about Juneteenth and I think about July 4th and how those things, those two are, are connected for me. Um, so I just wanted to express, express that. That was beautiful. You're way better at staying focused than I am when I freestyle, <laughs> but you, you, I think some of that, a lot of that was freestyle. Some of that was written. The beginning was, yeah, that was thanks. dope. Um, thanks, and I, and I would agree with all of it. I would agree with everything you said, honestly, you know, I mean, I have a flag behind me. You gotta, you gotta, right. That. You know what yep. I'm saying? Right. It's not burnt. That's right. I've thought about it. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's clean. It's up, you know, and, uh, I have, I have another flag next to it, you know? Yeah. So a black liberation flag, right. you know what I'm saying? I have a black national, I mean, or black nationalism flag. I have a black liberation flag right here on my DJ table and I have a Kenyan flag up here. You know, I want, I want, um, I want flags flying from all the nations that mm -hmm. are running through me. You know, that's why they're, that, that's why they're up. Um, so, you know, I have a Khalifa up because it's, uh, I believe that Palestine should be free and independent, you know, 
I wear a Star of David because my 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 grandmother, Mimi Rosenfeld, you know, um, Anna, Anna, Annalise, I believe, Annaline, I don't know her actual first name. I knew I know it vaguely. Um, is a is a Jew. The only one, rest in peace. The only one of her family to make it out of um, wow. Nazi-controlled Austria. You right. know, so I um, and I represent all of that all the time. And to me, Juneteenth is like the the day getting the holiday is like placation. It's mm-hmm. like the uh, the government saying, I know you're out here fighting for peace and justice and you want this and you have this stuff on the books and you're asking for this, that and the third. We're going to recognize a holiday for you. Go celebrate, you know, um, and it's it's just not enough. It's too little, right. too late um, as far as making it a national holiday. People who are celebrating it already celebrate it. Right now, a lot of states are struggling to teach the 1619 project in school. And so the value of the holiday being recognized by the by the nation is not as valuable as all the children learning the truth. Right. Um, so. Is it better than nothing? I don't know, you know. Um, I don't know if it's better than nothing. People are ready to riot and and uprise when Trump is in office. And once Biden is elected, people are happy and calm. So sometimes the the, the painful medicine might be the medicine you need. The stuff you don't want might be what you need, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let me get Alan in because uh, we're getting close to where we have to end the show. So, Alan, let me hear a little bit more from you, your thoughts. Uh, to me, uh, things haven't changed in the last hundred years. Uh, after the Civil War, up until 1910, up to the World War One, there was like five families that controlled this country. The uh, uh, Rockefellers, they controlled the oil, the uh, DuPonts. They were the sole provider of ammunition and explosives to the military. Uh, Carnegie's, they they were they controlled the steel industry and the uh, J.P. Morgan's. Uh, you know, they were the financial industry. I mean, those five. And then I'm not sure who uh, was. Maybe the Vanderbilts were. Uh, controlled the building of the railroads, uh, but anyway, those five families. I mean, they it, it was a plutocracy, man. They they were very rich. They they controlled everything, and I think that really things haven't changed. I I think uh, there's a lot of big money that that does, and and then what was happening at that time, and it is happening. Well, it, does, it doesn't happen now, but these families uh, they uh, selected their senators to represent them. And it wasn't until the passage of the uh, amendment uh, that uh, no, the senators need to be uh, voted by the popular vote. I think that's like 15, 1915, 1917, 1920. But up until that point, it, again, it was just you know just those five families that controlled this nation and, and uh, appointed judges and, and provided all the money. And I think we haven't uh, gone too much further than that now, too. I, I think 
and I know there's big money behind the, the our senators and our congressmen. You know, they come back to our districts and and talk a good line. But when they go back to Washington D.C., man, they got to worry about who is uh, donating money to their campaign, and they're spending a whole lot of time raising money. And as far as economics go, there's two things that are involved in a product, and one is capital, and, and one's labor. Uh, in our tax code right now, there's very little to support labor, uh, but there's a whole bunch of tax code and credits and uh, uh, incentive to uh, uh, invest in capital and must in money in capitalism, and it, and, and it just shortchanges the people, and we're suffering out here. Uh, I, I you know, and, and until that changes, I, I just, I, I think really there isn't much different between now and 100 years ago. I, you know, even Mitch McConnell, when they moved the uh, all-star baseball game out of Atlanta to, to wherever they're going to play the all-star baseball game this year, uh, he came out and complained. He said uh, to Coca-Cola and a lot of the corporations, uh, because of the voter suppression, you know, they, they stopped donating to the uh, Republican Party. And Mitch McConnell came out and said, now be careful, you guys. Uh, we depend on that money to keep us in office and keep us in power. And without that money, man, uh, we aren't going to, we're going to be voted out. We aren't, we aren't going to have the money to run our campaigns. So, I, again, it's, it, it's money. It, the, and, and within the new... Uh, uh, the Biden uh, tax plan to talk about, or the voter uh, uh, voting uh, bill, it's, they talk about the dark money. They got to get that out. They got to get that out of, out of politics, man. Again, I, I just don't see any difference between now and 100 years ago as far as economics go. We're that, 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 that dark money, that is, that is the death. That's money that they know is killing us. So yes. it is Coca-Cola, right? Because it's sugar, right? It is Raytheon. It is Mitsubishi that's uh -huh. investing in fighter jets, right? It's all of the stuff that they know is harmful to us. It's pig farms putting off massive amounts of poisons, right? It's it's all of it. It's it's, it's so nefarious. Yeah. It's prison. You know, and, and then like with Amazon or, or with... Uh, uh, Microsoft, it, it, you know, it. They've got the money. The 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 people I'm not top have the money. I want to see how the people that work for these organizations. I want to see how they vote, and I, I think their vote should come up to the top, and just Bezos and then Gates and those people just sort of butt out. I, I want people to have more power. Mike, I, I, it looked like you were trying to get in there and say something. Well, yeah, uh, you know, the, all, all of your points are very important. It's sort of backgrounds the sort of two great uh, uh, facts of American history, and that is the decimation and theft of Indian native land mm. and slavery. Those are the two great facts of American history. Right. And what the juxtaposition of Juneteenth and the 4th of July does is have a, a way to sort of tie these things that all men are created equal and that they weren't, and that Juneteenth is a way for us to have this discussion because it's not going to go away. And that's that's one of the great things about Black Lives Matter was a great thing because it forced people to start looking in the mirror and say, "This is our country, and what are you going to do about it?" Uh, 
for me, that's an optimistic sort of thing. And then Alan's right. There hasn't there there has been some change, but there hasn't been enough change, and we certainly haven't lived up to the ideals of our our country and the Constitution. Right. And clearly, the two representatives that I quoted, they're afraid of the discussion. You know, they're talking about um, that is going to pe make people choose between one Independence Day versus the other instead of talking about how we can talk about these two holidays and, and what they mean to each other. And it's funny because um, a lot of uh, these um, conservatives don't understand that the black community can be critical of this country and still care and love this country. It's not like, it's not like there has to be some separate thing. Oh, I, I could talk bad about the country and how it needs to get better, but that, that means I don't love it. That's silly. I mean, that's just foolishness and 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 immaturity that's, you know? just, so. that's just the sad state of things people are not critical we need to be crit we need to be allowed to be critical and encouraged to be critical it's good to be and question things and mm -hmm. ask questions you know yeah you can't get better if you're not critical yeah. and and honest with yourself uh, about yourself you know you're just going to stay the same you, you're you know, right, you're not going to grow. You have to <laughs> you have to be critical of yourself and you have to accept critique and, you you know. Yes. Yeah. So I, in some ways, this is a really good place that, to end our discussion, because um, that's what we're doing. We're being critical of our nation. We're talking about what's wrong with it. Um, and we all served. If you want to say served, be it. And, and, you know, we asked the question exactly who were we serving, you know. But we served, and so we, if nobody has the right to talk about our nation, we do. Um, but everyone has the right to talk about their nation and how to make it better. Um, so I appreciate um, you two being on the show. Uh, thank you both for sharing um, your experiences. Mike, do you have any final words before we um, sign off? Uh, no, I think that uh, sharing is, is important and actually serving. Serving is what I think of my service in uh, Veterans for Peace and Vietnam Veterans Against the War. My military service is not something I'm proud of, uh, quite frankly. Uh, and uh, I, I'm not afraid to say that either. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you people and the other people and, and VFP and the other veterans are my comrades. And uh, this, is, this is our true service, really. All righty. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Solidarity, peace. All right. Take care, folks. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you to Alan and Miles for sharing with us. You can find Miles' music on iTunes. That's Megasyph, M-E-G-A-C-I-P-H on iTunes. And of course, thank you to my co-host, Mike Diedrich. Let's take it out with more from Miles. Tune in again the fourth Wednesday of next month. And until then... Power to the peaceful. In the years since I've been out, I've done a world of things, made a world of difference to some future kings and queens. Impress a ton of people, but still seeking it myself after that family crossed the minefield. There's all nothing else. That night, my soul went to hell and back. When babies hanging barbed wire were ordered to hold back. What holds us back from breaking orders? 
What keeps us from breaking rank to hold obscure borders? These are broad questions with pinpoint answers. Why are people persecuted for smoking the cure for cancer? Why are global greenhouse emissions still not addressed? Why incarcerate instead of educate? I'm not impressed. We're oppressed with fear, scared of change or the other. Allowed our government to become big brother. Was it a big blunder, a grand mistake or fate? Though I have walked through the valley of death, I am awake forever promised to the few and the proud. So much potential I could hold the clouds. So much promise, I promise to say it loud. I promise to spit fire only to hope. Forever promised to the few and the proud. So much potential I could hold the clouds. So much promise, I promise to say it loud. I promise to spit fire only to control the crowd.